0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to this next episode of Canines Talking Sense. I'm your host, Cameron Ford. I wanted to talk about this episode. I'm going to do, which is finally the episode in relation to DDT, Detection Dog Trials. I have Georgie Armstrong, who flew over from the UK, and she's here for actually a seminar with me, uh, Cognition Instructor and Puppy Cognition. But since she's the founder of DDT, I wanted to take uh, this opportunity to do this interview so that way all of you guys can kind of get a little taste about DDT, what it is and some of the rules and the things that we'll talk about in the episode. And, you know, get this ball rolling because there's so much interest in DDT. So many people want to do it. Again, it's a sport that uh, allows professionals and hobbyists to get together. So uh, right before we get into that episode, little updates about what's been going on. Uh, One of the things that Georgie is also bringing over is we have more puppies. We're going to have Viva it's a Springer Spaniel in Vegas, a Springer Spaniel. So a male and a female that come from Georgie's lines. Uh, and then we're going to have Dipper, who's a working Cocker Spaniel. Um, these are the new dogs that will be raised by us here at Ford Canine. Um, and then we have, of course, the typical classes and things that are going on. Uh, seminars. Uh, I've had a lot of you know people reaching out to me about seminars. Uh, the Just go to the website, FordK9.com. You can go to the events page, go scroll through the events and see what we have going on, uh, where I'm going to be at, what events, uh, like who to contact if you want to find out uh, how much an event is. Um, So go check out FordK9.com, click on the events page, and you'll see what's going on there. Um, The online classes are quickly... uh, Basically getting finished and online here really really soon. We've had a few delays, technology, COVID, you name it. It's slowed things down, but we're nearly done. Uh, which ties that into the new Ford Canine YouTube channel. Uh, some of you guys may have noticed uh, I've been posting more videos. We part of that heavy investment for the online courses was a lot of camera equipment and microphones and so on and so forth. And We're still getting certain technical things worked out, but I have been posting YouTube videos that are kind of answering some of the questions that you guys have been sending to me. Um, So keep your questions coming. I usually make social media posts telling people, hey, reach out, uh, send me a question and I'll gladly answer those questions for you. Um, and I'm going to use the YouTube channel as the format or the place where I will share some of that information, uh, and answer those questions. So go check out on YouTube, Ford Canine, uh, YouTube channel. And I can't do these episodes without these sponsors. So I would like to welcome our newest sponsor, Leash and Harness Coffee. Go to LeashandHarnessCoffee.com. Leash and Harness Coffee is a coffee company that was created by canine handlers for canine handlers in the sense that what they do with the coffee and the proceeds they do, they help out canine programs, canine handlers. Um, They make a great quality product. I love the contraband blend. It is a Bomb blend with a dope finish. I, I love saying that and sharing that. Uh, go check out leashandharnesscoffee.com. The uh, website will be in the show notes here. Also, thanks to scik Canine, home of the TAD, the training aid delivery device. Great tool for those that need to protect their training materials. Go check out scik9.com. That is S-C-I-K number nine And then Precision Explosives. Todd Wilbur, his wife, Chrissy, uh, they do a great job of making a lot of different products. They put on classes and so forth, uh, go out, go support precision explosives. One of the best products I've been using recently is their narcotics training aids, real narcotics odor on a, on a print pad. Um, their materials have been tested. They're still being tested. I know there are new stuff's being tested by not only Psy Canine, but also Pat Nolan, um, for you know how do they work how good they are how the dogs are doing so go check out precision explosives the website will be in the show notes uh it's just pre-exp.com so go check that out so without waiting any further let's get into the episode Hello everybody, welcome to Canine's Talking Sense, your podcast dedicated to everything detection dogs. I'm your host, Cameron Ford, broadcasting live out here in Las Vegas. In today's episode, I get the pleasure of interviewing Georgie Armstrong from the UK. Georgie has a quite a diverse background, and she has created the sport of DDT, which we will get into. So without any further ado, Georgie, welcome to the show. Hi. (laughs) How are you doing?
1: I'm good, thank you.
0: So for the listeners, because you actually have a background that's a mixture of the working side of things from uh, search and rescue and also uh, the, the sports side of things, just give us a little you know a bit about you like how you got into dogs um, and your little journey to how we got to where we're at today.
1: Uh, yeah so I had always had dogs growing up always had dogs. Um, I got a lab who was gonna be a gun dog. I had no idea about search and rescue detection anything even existed. My lab started barking and then uh, at an event I saw, a search and rescue team stand basically said does your dog like tennis balls I was like, yeah he definitely does and that's where it started um I did search and rescue with him for live people he's uh 11 now retired obviously um and then I started to do um after a few years training him I found the HR stuff mm-hmm. really fascinating um started working with some of the teams that trained the dogs on the boats to do water search for human remains and bred and trained a spring spaniel to do that. Mm -hmm. So that then obviously switched over slightly into the detection side of things over um, SAR because it was imprinting odor, Mm -hmm. uh, indication, things like that. So that's when I sort of branched out into the wide world of detection <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and I found the sports side of it when I started when I started teaching detection uh, so I used to teach search and rescue type um, fun classes to people that had sort of working dogs and things like that and then when I started learning more about detection I started to teach detection um, to the sport handlers um, found out about you know they could compete in trials uh, they used to train up their dogs on all sorts of odours. And when I started, it was all in a village hall. That's that's what it was. Yeah. Everybody trained in a village hall. That's what they did. Um, the dogs generally searched sort of cardboard boxes or a table of chairs, something like that. So obviously when I was going out training with my dogs, um, I would train at you know a farm, a quarry, uh, an old school, loads of different stuff. And I couldn't understand why sport dogs I was like why why don't they go and do this yeah like, it's so much more fun uh and then when I started learning about the trials that they can do that was the same thing it would be you know in, in a village hall or something like that uh, and also the dogs had to be on specific odors mm-hmm. as well so mm-hmm. I was like oh well I can't do that with my dogs then you know if I wanted to I can't yeah. you know I can't go and do that with a HR dog or something um so that was where I then was like light bulb moment there is something massive (laughs) like missing Uh here so I started teaching at different venues first that's how it started so I used um like a football club or someone's it was a transport yard I used to use so people go and search the lorries and things Mm -hmm. like that and then yeah um DDT is detection dog trials um and that idea was like right this this is definitely a thing that people need to do. You know, I do my assessments at loads of cool different places. Uh All the sport people were so keen as well to like, to train their dogs more, put more work into the Mm -hmm. dogs and work towards more stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I just thought, well, yeah, this makes loads of sense. And that's, yeah, that's why I created DDT.
0: Yeah, no. And, yeah, I'm going to circle back to the DDT part here in a second. Um, your background, even in the search and rescue world, was, you know, you, you've been on real searches. You've done some stuff. Um, what, you know, as you kind of, you, you brought the connection between the sport world and the SAR world together because, like you said, you had a dog trained in human remains and you wanted to do something for real. I mean, as far as like you want to compete in a sense, like I said, you you did the real thing and then you want to go to compete and you were restricted because the dog that you had was trained on human remains and going to sport. They had, you know, oils or whatever it would have been. Um, But that what was it in the professional side of things that really had you motivated? I mean, a lot of times people are like, I want to go on deployments. I want to go do things. You know, I would think, you know, search and rescue is going to be very similar all over the place. But in the UK, things are also very different than what I've seen for the search and rescue United States. So just kind of like a little bit about your journey on the search and rescue side, the experiences you've had, um, you know, and and I know we've, we've had, we've talked off of air about, you know, dealing with certification standards and, you know, how that can become, you know, there's, Certification standards, and then there's reality, but and there's frustrations in dealing with that. Um, but a little bit about the journey in the, in the search and rescue for you, and what you kind of motivated you to go, you know, this is great, but I also wanted to go do that.
1: Uh, so I trained with multiple teams, which is quite different to what a lot of people do in the UK. So the UK, um, is split pretty much in half, um, with Lowland Rescue, see, in the lower part of the country, and then um, Mountain Rescue. Uh, so there's different, now there'll be different teams again, like you said, different standards, you know, different things popping up everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but there pretty much was, you know, Lowland and then Mountain Rescue, Um, Ansada, mm-hmm. um and then it was Alsa then, which is Lone Rescue now. So my team obviously was Lone Rescue. That's where I lived. Um, but I wanted to also learn about the dogs that did Mountain Rescue Search. One, because I went to Wales and the Lake District and that all the time anyway. Yeah. Uh, but also they'd done it for a really long time. They'd done it for a lot longer. And I just was like, there's got to be... I want to learn about this stuff. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't just want to do what's happening in my team because I used to um I started learning more because it got quite difficult because sure. I was always like why to everything. Mm-hmm. It was always like, you know, why are we doing this? And the answers I generally got were because this is how we do it. And I was like, this famous
0: famous saying yeah
1: (laughs) and I just feel like what right okay fine so I want yeah I wanted to learn more so I went out to um there's a fantastic team in the Lake District um that are brilliant and I did quite a lot of training with them um I did training in Northern Ireland um and Wales um, as well. Uh, we did go up to Scotland for a bit, and I learned different stuff every time I went anywhere. You know, I, I learned different things from different teams, and there was things I'd bring back that made so much sense to me. Um, the reward was one of them, um, like how much work some of the teams put in. Um, mountain rescue teams put into you know what that brought to the dogs' indication. Mm-hmm. Um, that was huge for me, and the way the dogs worked—that's uh, my my passion about search and rescue. And I think that's why it will always stay as like my number one is the way the dogs just work away from the handler. You know, they're working by themselves pretty much, um, mm-hmm. but they're working for you because of the reward they get out of it. That's why they want to do it.
0: Yeah. Now. In the U.K., you guys have your search and rescue fields, like you mentioned, kind of specialized and separated. It's not like one dog team does everything. You're like If you're trained in HR, that means you can do HR, not only water, you can do anything you want. You guys kind of specialize it where you have HR, like you said, in the mountain region, and you have your water HR. Is that basically how – I know there's other classifications, but I'll let you kind of explain that.
1: Yeah, HR is – um. HR away from the police in the UK is tiny, mm-hmm. like really, really tiny. There's hardly any dogs. There's dogs now that are training towards HR, like mm-hmm. there are dogs training for everything. Yeah. Everywhere. But um, in the search and rescue side of it, the HR dogs is really um, quite a new thing. You know, there's not, not very many of them at all. It's mostly mm-hmm. police. Mm-hmm. Um, the live search dogs. Yeah. I mean, Lowland, there's a team for every county. Every single county has a low rescue team um, with, live search dogs, trailing okay. dogs, and SN dogs. <coughs> um, but it's pretty much the same in mountain rescue as well. Um, the only difference is in mountain rescue, you've got a mountain rescue team as in no dogs. Gotcha. And then you'll have a dog team. So if you're in a dog team for uh, like with mountain rescue, you have mm-hmm. to be in an MR mm-hmm. team as well. Okay. So there's a separate team. It's two different, two different things. Whereas in Lowland, now there's crossovers. Um, so In mountain rescue, those dogs qualify uh, under Ensada, and then lowland it's under lowland rescue. Okay. And they'll have a dog team, but they'll do everything else. So you'll have a team that's got a dog team, um, a water team, not with dogs, Mm -hmm. separate, separate to dogs. Um, And then now they have also drone searches and things like that. So they're much more like that team will do everything. You don't you're in one team. Yeah. um, If you do that, rather than rather than two.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, and that's, you know, I, you know, the states is, we're adapting, and there's, you know, like we talked about, there's different regions that do uh, different things. Uh, for us, it's, you know, each state has, you know, teams than you have within the state. They're different, you know, we call them counties. Our counties have different things. So, um, but there's a lot of, because it's volunteer force, uh, the standards or the kind of dogs available can vary quite differently from one region to another region. Um and to take examples from what happens in Europe has been a you know, an enlightening thing for me to see how you guys do things and how you not only you guys but other countries too so you know it's it's very interesting in the world of detection especially now with all of the different uh i would say evolutionary aspects of it how much more we know now than we've ever had before the things that we kind of do now you're also friends with a common friend of mine wesley from uh sent imprint for dogs and you've gotten to go to uh, holland and go work with him and go through classes talk a little bit about the journey in learning detection from some of the different people that you've been exposed to, uh,
1: yep. So I, as well as when I started doing the HR stuff with Tula, my, that's my spaniel Tula. Uh, I need. I was like, I need to learn about detection. You know, yeah. I only know about search and rescue. I don't know anything about detection. So I went to a few different conferences, training seminars, things like that. That was when I first uh, met Wes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was talking at the um, Impact Canine Conference. Um, and that, that was the one by Dave, I think,
0: that you okay. spoke to you yep. the other week. Yeah, good old uh, Dave podcast. Hibbert. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: so I saw Wes there, and he was mainly promoting the puppy program that they did at the time. Um, but there was just a couple of things about the way he was explaining how they train their dogs that sort of was a little bit of a light bulb moment. I was like, that yeah. makes sense <laughs> to me, rather than yeah. just a this is how we do it. You know, yeah. it was a bit of a... Okay, that makes sense. So I then, when he was coming to the UK to teach a seminar, I booked on that seminar and mm-hmm. um, went to that seminar and then um, had the same thing, um, you know, how he was training his dogs and how he trained the dogs on that seminar made a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. There was that and also in the UK at the time that only instructor courses to do with detection weren't coming from anyone with any form of operational background at all. Mm-hmm. And they were like a day or, you know, I could do a course online for yeah. six weeks and I'd be an instructor in yeah. and I was like, this doesn't <laughs> feel right. Yeah. I don't think this is okay. Uh, whereas, so his instructor course, I had to go out to Holland, I think, I don't know, like two or three times per stage. So I did three uh, stages. Mm-hmm. I had to go out for that two or three times per stage. I had to send videos of dogs that came to me clients that came to me with a dog that had never done detection before and then go all the way up to the dog being on odor being able to indicate and I had to send proof of that you know that I trained that in the method Mm -hmm. that that he'd then train me in and on the back of that he was also coming to the UK then about I don't know five times a year to do seminars for me so I then was like right I need to learn from this guy he lives in a different country how Mm -hmm. can I do Mm -hmm. this without traveling all the time so I then got him to come to the UK and train other handlers, which meant that I was then training off C yeah. with him. And then it led to uh, the two of us would then teach together when he when he yep. came over. Yeah. So I did my, yeah, I did all my instructor training with him. Mm-hmm. And then I trained with various other handlers just through, mainly through just meeting different people at seminars, mm-hmm. um, you know, watching what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a few seminars uh phillips came over to me and did some Mm -hmm. seminars and i went down to him um -hmm. and did some seminars too and it's just nice taking different stuff from different people yeah um yeah seeing different people and how they did it and that's still now i've got like a list you know like i really need to see how i want to go and train with them i want to go and see how they do it because i think the most important thing with that that i got told a long long time ago um was you know take what works for you mm-hmm. so i have it with clients a lot when people come like oh i'm doing this now with my dog or i'm now training this method with my dog this mm-hmm. week you know and mm-hmm. it, and it changes all the time and the dogs don't understand but i think you can learn loads but then you need to actually have the confidence to take what works for you from that and then you know evolve what you yeah.
0: And it was it was kind of funny for me because you know I travel frequently and do my seminars on cognition which I did for you and then odor pays. And the funny part for me was when I did the odor pays class like everybody in the room already was doing everything I was teaching you know which was you know anticlimactic for me because yeah. in the sense I was like well this is I'm preaching to the choir here. Everybody already does this. I'm not really sharing anything new. And as compared to when I travel around the United States, it's significantly different. You know, you know the amount of people using uh, a marker-based system for detection is much different here in the states than when I went over to you guys where like you guys were like, "Yeah, why wouldn't you use that?" Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was an enlightening aspect. And then the the part that like you said is part of your journey that was what brought me out there the cognition part. And we'll talk about that for a little bit. Um, you know, you got to go, uh, cognition was completely new to you in the sense of how we, we did it. Um, what was your takeaways? Cause obviously you're here now to go through cognition instructor. What was it that you liked or the things that you took away when you did cognition uh, in that seminar?
1: Um, I really liked the way you can see, you know, you can get more out of the dog so you can understand the dog a lot more. And for me, with clients' dogs, it was massive. Mm-hmm. So, t- for me to know, you know, if I have a dog that is more this way, if I have a dog that's more like memory based, mm-hmm. more inference based, I can tailor my teaching that's, you know, and it's gonna help this client a lot more. And it- off the back of the seminar, when you were in the UK teaching, Mm -hmm. I think even during when you were there, I had classes and I was like, I know exactly what I can do with this dog because (laughs) I can see you're like a memory dog and this is going to help. So for me, it's definitely um, clients and it it simplifies it for me with clients because I have it quite often where I can see what I would do with the dog Mm -hmm. and how I would train the dog. But then I need to put that into a sort of aspect that my client's going to understand and you know there are mm-hmm. people that just you you know I have a huge variation and I'm really lucky that a lot of my clients they're so dedicated to what they they do and I find that with the sport handlers a lot you know they put so much into their dogs and they want mm-hmm. to learn all the time and they want to adapt you don't get this sort of they're not so stuck in their ways yeah. of, of how they do things some of them but um, you also get the ones that just want to have fun and they want to move really quick so then if I can understand their dog much quicker mm-hmm. and know the direction i need to go in so if i you know you need to move your hides more you need yeah. to vary your timing loads because your dog's just going to go back it's got good memory mm-hmm. then yeah definitely made it easier for me yeah um yeah with, so clients was, it
0: was a huge thing yeah no and it's like you you hit a key point you know we had always trained dogs based on feel you know as a trainer we were like well this makes sense to me i'm going to do it this way um and a lot of the things that we had been doing in, you know, as trainers off that field did match some of the cognitive ability of the dogs, but we wasted, you know, numerous training sessions, repetitions because it took us that long to figure out, which now we know ahead of time when we start off with the cognitive uh testing information just like you said is this dog stronger in inference or is this dog stronger in memory and knowing that from the start we were able to make those adjustments in training so it's cool to you know like you knew nothing about it and we go there within three days you were able to now apply it uh specifically with your clients uh the people that you're working with and you know i think in a, another important point and you can you know validate this or not It's, you know, a lot of people assume because I'm the one that's been teaching cognition, cognition is all about detection. And as you can probably relate, it's not about detection, it's about how the dogs learn. So whether you're doing agility, whether you're doing um, any type of sport program, um, protection, et cetera, et cetera, police, canines, search and rescue, would you say that no matter what it is, how does that, you know, cognition is a benefit for, for learning?
1: Yeah, massively. And that's one of the things I need to make sure, you know, when I bring that to the UK, I mean, cognition, obviously, it's always been around, everybody's been doing it. It's just that this way, just really simplifies it in a way that you can learn about your dog with a, you know, specific method, you'll have results at the end of it, you know, so many people like data and Mm -hmm. uh, results and things like that. And then, you know, they want to be able to see in black and white. Yep what their dog's like so and it will be for yes for everything it helps with everything even if you don't do a sport with your dog Mm -hmm. and you want to just know more about your dog so i think when i run those the tests and the classes in the uk about it is yes i teach detection but you know this i have a lot of clients that do especially agility Mm -hmm. um probably over 50 percent of my clients have dogs that they're running in agility as Mm -hmm. well as uh, the scent work because we've always I've always said, and I've had it from clients as well, when they do agility, if they do detection as well, it makes a huge difference to the dogs. It's, it helps the dogs a lot. Um, nervous dogs as well, it works for that. But yeah, the cognition stuff will help with dogs doing anything. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't
0: have to be detection. Yeah. And you're doing now, we talked about Dave Hibbert a second ago. You actually have a dog now that you're raising from the West Midlands Police Dog Centre. Um talk about which is again it's a unique thing compared to what we do here in the states you're part of a police dog puppy raising program correct and you can talk yep. a little bit about your dog
1: yep so the police dogs the puppies go out to handlers similar to a lot of places in the uk so medical detection dogs guide dogs hearing dogs you know they'll as puppies they go out to a puppy walker or something like that um and west mids do the same their dogs go out to puppy walkers Mine is, she's slightly different. She's one of the, she'll be, hopefully, be one of the breeding bitches. So when I was speaking to Dave about puppy walking, I was like, well, I don't know <laughs> if I want to do this and get really attached to a dog. And then she's got to go back or he's yeah. got to go back. Because I, I like the idea of it because, again, it's learning, learning about other breeds. She's a Mali. Um, and I'd always have a, had a soft spot for them. I worked them um, in Holland with um, the pointers, as you know. Yep. Um and but I never obviously would have gone out and just bought a valley
0: in the UK. Yeah.
1: Uh so that's it is it is different and it is a really nice opportunity to learn. I can go to Westmids for training, I can you know learn more about what they do with the dogs there. But because she's a breeding bitch for them, she can stay with me forever if she wants to. So that's really good. But no, their programme we went and visited, as you said on the podcast with Dave, you know, when we went went over there and visited their program and the research they're putting in is brilliant
0: yeah yeah really 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 interesting and and it's really cool to see um you know a police program that has a raising you know not only breeding but then the raising aspect of it which you get to participate in um and, and how big they have that program I mean, it's a huge breeding program they've got. It's not just Malleys and German Shepherds and Dutch Shepherds. It's uh, Labradors and now Springers and Working Cockers. Um, you know, a multitude both in the what they call general purpose, which what we call dual purpose, as well as the single purpose aspect for detection. And like you said, this is, you know, I guess it's your first owned, not you know, your own it, but your first valley that you're keeping with you, living with yep, you and all that is, kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So, but prior to that, what has been your top breeds of choice and why did you pick these breeds?
1: So obviously I had my lab. So Dexter was my sardog. dog. I had it, My first ever dog was a Terrier. Mm-hmm. I always love them. They're brilliant. But yeah, Dexter was my first proper dog. Uh, so here's my lab. So I will always have a soft spot for them. For search and rescue, I'd never have anything else because yeah. I feel like they want to help people. They, you know, they want mm-hmm. to work for you. They want to help people. Um, Tula's a Springer. I think I'll always have a Springer in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think of, <laughs> at any one time I won't be without a Springer Spaniel. Um, when I started training in Holland, I felt hard. And we've had this conversation about the uh, with the GSPs. like. Yep. The GSPs from Europe, though, not the GSPs in the UK. No yep. offence to my clients, yep. have GSPs in the <laughs> UK. Um, but, yeah, so I will always have a soft spot for them, but they are not, obviously, the easiest to live with. They need a hell of a lot of work. Um, I have a two-legged three-year-old, <laughs> and so when he is older, I will have another one of those GSPs. Sure. But also, there was the thing about I... I'm raising puppies now and breeding in the UK and I couldn't bring those pointers here because I, I um, can't register them in the UK or see people want them registered here and everything like that. So that's yeah. why I sort of went back, but the, the gun dog breeds springers over cockers every time. Yeah. Every single time. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, my, my labs, I've got real, real soft
0: sorts for. Yeah. So with speaking of that, then what um, for you is the reason why Springers overworking cockers every single time. What is it for you?
1: <sighs> springers overworking cockers. Um, mm. It's the fact that, and it, all of them are different, and I have some working cockers that I would bite my clients' hands off to own. There are a few, but the Springers, I find they're a lot more level headed. If you get, you know, the, yep. the ones I would have, obviously, okay. like with every breed, you mm-hmm. get, you know, problems and, and, Different, you know, ones that'll just chase a leaf for yeah. twenty-five minutes. Um, but yeah, it's it's then a lot more level-headed. I feel like the breed is still the gun dog breed; it always has been. I think it's been messed about with a lot less. I think when the cockers went into agility, it all sort of went a bit different. Yeah, uh, for <laughs> uh, after that, you know, they the cockers. I just find they're quite needy. Okay, they're really focused on you and, okay. and again this isn't all cockers like there are some fantastic cockers um but yeah in the in the grand scheme of things that's how i find them they they don't switch off as easy they're a lot more sensitive and yeah they just want they're just constantly they, they would literally want to be inside you yeah. if they could whereas the thing i love about tula and you know my springers they will come and have a cuddle if you want they'll chill out on the sofa if I had COVID and was isolating for seven yeah, days yeah. watching Netflix, Tula uh-huh. would do that with me. If I went out to work for three days, she'd work for three days and not think twice about it. So that's what I like about the Springers is, you know, their number one thing is to work. They're mm-hmm. not as easy, I think, for um, clients like sport handlers and things. I think they're quite difficult to train sometimes because yeah. they're, like, their main reinforcer is the search. Yeah. Whereas I think the Cockers, it's a bit easier to get them on a ball or a toy or something like that. I think that's why people tend to like them a bit more. You know, they're quite yeah. versatile. But I think with the springers, if you put the work in, like yeah, uh, there's nothing,
0: nothing like them. And, and now you've only been here like it, uh, not even twenty four. I guess twenty four hours now. Nearly, yeah, yeah. Twenty four. <laughs> yeah. The, um, what have you already noticed between the uh, American bred cockers versus the English cockers that you're used to?
1: So with what I was saying about the springers, how I feel like in the springers, the breed hasn't sort of been spoiled yet. You know, they're still how they were. As from what I've seen from your working cockers Mm -hmm. here, I think that they're still at that sort of stage. I don't think they've been messed about with so much. You know, they've not been overbred so much. They look like the working cockers that I am used to see, you know, that I used Mm -hmm. to see before they got bred to be like really, really tiny and really, really crazy to do agility. Yeah. and yeah, they're more like the Springer's. They're more like what I like in the Springer's. So yeah. today we worked um, Springer's and Cockers, and I didn't see a particular difference between the two, like yeah. between the two breeds. You yeah. know, they just were what I like in a Spaniel. Yeah, basically. The yeah. only
0: difference was about size. It's about yeah, pretty much you know, the yeah. biggest difference. But yeah. they're
1: also still a decent size. They're not minute little micro dogs. Yeah, the cockers. Yeah,
0: exactly. No, it is. You know. You know, like you talked about, we both went down this journey with, uh, you know, between the Spaniels and Labradors. And then we got into the the Pointers at about the same time. And we both experienced the exact same thing in, this, in the uh, Pointers. And um, it's, you know, like you said, we love the breeds. And the need, I guess, in the various, whether it be sport programs or professional programs, the breed itself has to be able to sustain some of this demand that happens. And uh, we had had this conversation, which was um, seeing the pointers with such a huge demand on them so fast uh, really changed in a matter of two years of time. The pointers we got in the beginning and then the pointers we have more frequently now, which are a little bit more spastic, um, uh, just not as focused, Um, A lot more active in the sense of they want to scratch and dig and do all this stuff versus point, which is what they were so good at, what attracted me to them, and then that really nice hunting pattern, and now it's like we're joking around about the uh, uh, working cockers. I see a lot of that in the pointers now, frantic all over the place, bouncing around, uh, you know, and there's people going to argue and say, oh, well, that's training and that's this and that's that, but not necessarily because, you know, it's really the upbringing part of it. And then there's the genetics part of it. So is it nature? Is it nurture? And I think we both can kind of seen that some of the nature changed and then also the nurture changed. It would became, okay, we got to get dogs out not as much time spent on some of those foundational aspects. So, you know, as we have this conversation, you know, for the listeners is genetics is very important and things to consider outside of what you initially maybe considered was was the demand on the breed that you're looking at is it a really popular breed that has received tons of um, demand in the past number of years so now people are just kind of breeding them to produce them and now we've lost some of that good quality that we used to have Um, you know i said I, i was super fascinated myself you know that difference between you know because over here we're always told the spaniels in the in the UK are that's where you go that's what you do and when i saw the the breeder that i utilize here um it i saw the great qualities of the english lines without the overbreeding process which then gave me that nature and nurture part that i wanted the genetics along with being able to raise them and have that um and then for you to now be able to come over here and see some of the differences yourself it just shows you what a demand does and you mentioned that a second ago the demand for the working cockers in sport you know the agility and things like that drastically changed what started happening to the breed so it's just kind of you know as I tell people they reach out to me oh I want this or I want this breed or I like this you know just totally going down a wormhole here it was look at You know, what the demand has done, you know, we've all seen it in Labradors. You know, Labradors, to me, are now starting to kind of come back around a little bit, but the demand is still there. You know, that's the tough part, so... You know, well, now I wanted to you know segue back into the DDT aspect, um, detection dog trials. So let's go over first because now we're we're bringing DDT here, in the United States. Uh, myself and uh, Natalie Morris, who works with me, uh, we're going to kind of get it rolling here. And uh, the thing that you brought up, this is what got my attention and got me super excited to do it and bring it here, was. DDT wasn't just regulated to the typical thing of, let's say, the oils. You could actually have a working dog that was trained in, let's say, human remains, bed bug, electronic detection, tobacco... There's all kinds of different things. I mean, even the narcotics dogs could uh, do it. As you guys call them, pyro dogs, dogs that were trained to find the flares and the smoke bombs and things like that, that are, you know, used at soccer stadiums or or football stadiums, I should say, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) to be proper. Um, I've already got scolded, you know, earlier on when I said I was in England, but I was really in the U, and I was really in Wales. So I've, I've learned to be more, uh, geographically correct and then make sure I say things more correctly. But, um, so in any case, the that, that resonated with a lot of people, you know, when we made this post about DDT and the fact that you could uh, have a dog in a different discipline, uh, a discipline that matches what someone's going to do for a job. So they can now, if you're a professional or if you own your own company doing detection services, you even have a fun outlet to go to and go compete and go intermingle and interact with other people that are enjoying the use of dogs in a competitive way so the 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 main point so go ahead and talk about in the uk what is the most popular let's say odor and then the second part of this equation is our question i should say what how do you compete evenly at one trial if you have a tobacco dog and you have a pyro dog how how do you guys do it and how does it fare
1: so we, this is a huge learning curve for us as well because um, the most popular odor in the UK is clove, uh, definitely clove, as in the little yep. Christmas spice. Yep. Um, I remember when Valdis from Latvia came over and did a seminar for me. He calls it Christmas grass. Like that, was one, <laughs> that was what every, he couldn't understand why everyone was like training on Christmas grass. Yeah. So what are you doing? And uh, gun oil as well. Yeah, um, it is another one. But um, to make it fair, so we have it. We have a variation. Obviously, probably still ninety percent of the dogs doing DDT are running on clove or gun oil. Okay, and then the rest you've got. I think at Champs in twenty twenty, either we had tobacco accelerants, pyro, clove, gun oil, and RHR HR mm-hmm. and DD, Digital Hardware as well. Yep. So those are the odors that we had at Champs. Um, we had dogs on all of those. To make it bear, which came in uh, last year, I think at the beginning of last year, we ch- So I started. I had my two pointers on pyrotechnics when I was sort of running a year into DDT. I think two mm-hmm. years into DDT. So because obviously it was constantly developing, I was learning about the sport side of things. It. I was like, I've got to do my own trials. So I need yeah. to compete, which I hated. <laughs> like, I was like, oh my gosh! Like, why do people want to do this? Like, yeah, I was so nervous, and I did it with my pyro dog. And because I had the standard from him that I wanted, like for operational work, I would run out of time. That was the main. That was the main thing. So we'd either smash it when the Mm -hmm. trial it was fine or we'd not find because we'd run out of time we wouldn't get to Mm -hmm. get to one of the fines so i was like this can't i know this dog is good at what he's doing and he's not getting a fair chance against you know the dogs that are on clove so we um so i developed the odor tiers um so basically the odor tiers are if you're in tier one It's like the stronger odours. So you've got clove, gun oil, we have truffle oil in the UK, Mm -hmm. quite a lot, Um, uh, marijuana. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's tier one. So that would be the normal times. I can tell you, go through the levels and that so you know the times and that for for each search. And then you have tier two. So if you're in tier two, you get two minutes on top of the time you get for your search. Okay. So in prelim and novice, you get a five minute search time. Okay. In intermediate, it's an eight minute search time. So in tier one, that's what they are. In tier two, you get two minutes on top of that. Okay. So tobacco's in tier two. Um, cash is in tier two. Uh, pet, we usually use petrol for accel- if you've got an accelerant mm-hmm. dog, so that's in tier two as well, um, as an example. And then tier three, you get four minutes on top of that. Okay. Um, so you get four minutes on top of your five minutes or your eight minutes. Okay. Tier three is like pyro um explosive dogs you'd have yep. um in tier three, uh digital hardware, that's in tier three. Bed bugs will be in tier three. Mm-hmm. So the odors, it's not just obviously it's done quite a lot on strength. Yep. But not um not only that, not necessarily. So HR, for example, is in tier two, not tier one, because okay. it's yes, it can be a really strong odor but it behaves, it's a lot more harder for the dog to work out than clove is. Mm-hmm. Like clove's are really dense odour. Once the dog gets into the scent cone, unless it can't be asked to find sure. it, it's going to find it straight away. Whereas obviously HR, it can dump itself somewhere else. The dog can take more time. So this is one of the main things with um, like the pyro, for example, uh my dog I had a couple of times when you know he hit odour I could you know I could I could call the fact that my dog was an odour if I didn't need to but I could have yeah. done if I wanted to but him working out and working to source was what took up more time than a dog that was searching for Kong or Clove mm-hmm. for example they'd mm-hmm. find it a lot easier to get to source so that's why we put the time in so that they just had more time because you, you imagine if you've got um three hides and then your dog takes three times as long with each hide to get to source, yeah, you're going to run out of time if you don't have that sort of extra sure. time on it. So that's how it became fair Okay. With uh, time-wise. Also, the judges, when they're trained, they're trained on the different odors. If you... We have, like... um, So I have people that I've contacted, so I didn't know loads about accelerants. So the first time I had a fire investigation dog enter a trial, I... Messaged a friend of mine and was like, "Help me, please," (laughs) because he's got fire investigation dogs. And uh, I, you know, I wanted to understand the odor, understand the amount I needed to put out, how long it needed to soak for to make it, you know, to make it fair. And the judges will have this training as well. But if they have a dog that enters a trial, or a host has a dog that enters a trial, and they're like, you know, they're coming in on this odor, I've never done it before, then that's what we do. You know, go to an expert on that odor so they understand and it's put out for the dog. Mm -hmm. The high placement is the other side of it, Mm -hmm. which makes it more fair. So if you have a high hide put out, for example, if I had a little smoke bomb put out for a pyro dog, um, especially if it was outside, if it was Mm -hmm. on an outside search, um, the clove hide would most definitely be higher than the pyro hide. And also the pyro hide would probably be somewhere slightly more sheltered Mm -hmm. to try and make it more fair, because obviously the pyro outside is... Perfect to work. Sure. It's horrible. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's high placement, and then they have more time.
0: Um, to and now out. each odor category has the same number of hides out in that area. So if it's three hides out, you know, Pyro has three, Clove has three, Digital has three. Is that correct?
1: Uh, yeah, completely. Yeah. And the hide type would be the same. So if the hide was out of reach, high it would still be out of reach with all the odors, whether mm-hmm. it was a slightly easier out of reach hide, it would still be out of reach. Yeah, every, it would be the same, you know, it's in mm-hmm. the same, it's not the same area as in you take one hide out and put the other hide in, but it would be if it, you know, if the clove was in a chest of drawers, mm-hmm. then the pie would be too. It's not yep. like they get totally different hides. It's, as similar as it can be, but making the odors mm-hmm. much fair, you know, much fairer for
0: the dogs. It's definitely logistics involved, obviously, when hosting one of these trials, because you want to make sure you have enough space for the different types of dogs and, and putting the odors out. Um, the, the part that I also thought was very fair and kind of cool was these dogs will also search the same areas, but... The let's say the pyro dog shouldn't be learning to bed bugs or gun oil. So, having those things there are kind of distractors to some dogs, and then, of course, target to the other, to the, the main dog.
1: Yeah. So, when you enter on your entry form, you need to put on your entry form what odor you want to search for, but you also have to put what other odors your dog's imprinted on. Because obviously, we've got dogs that are imprinted on different odors. People maybe started on clove. Mm-hmm. The main thing is people started on clove and then they thought, I want to do something more difficult, so they're now on pyro or tobacco. Yeah. So there would never be clove out in their search area. So what usually happens at the moment in the UK is the clove dogs tend to run last. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't put something like clove or HR out as a distractor for the pyro dogs because their odour is so weak, Yeah. Um, it's not fair really to have clove or... HR, we don't ever have out for mm. when other dogs that are on other odors are working. Yeah. It, that dog would always run last. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so the clove dogs might have pyro out that they need to ignore. Um, the pyro dogs, if they were running first, if it was going to work out that the clove dogs say had pyro and tobacco out for them, the pyro dogs would have two distractors out mm-hmm. as well. They'd just be they wouldn't be quite yeah. as strong as clove. You know, mm-hmm. they'd be a bit bit fairer. So yeah.
0: Now, obviously, like you mentioned, judges have to be well-educated on this stuff and getting judges to kind of understand, like you said, the various aspects of the odor or, um, you know, uh, just setting hides in general. Um, So you guys have a process, which we're going to, you know, incorporate over here in the States, too, is judges being trained. And in that aspect of the judging, you know, one of the biggest, uh, I would say debatable topics that comes up in the sport stuff that we've both seen is well, how close to the you know, where the substance is at do the dogs have to be to get the the called correctly? And you and I talked about it. One of the things I, I loved about this program was it's what was kind of reasonable. You know, you know, could they easily find it based on where the dog indicated the judge has some latitude there to say, yes, that's, you know, where that dog indicated at, because we know the odor changes throughout let say amount of hours or time that it's out mm-hmm. uh, including temperature and things like that. So it's kind of nice to see that the judges have the ability, but you can kind of talk about like, you know, how a handler calls alert and then what the proximity kind of basically is and what you go through.
1: Yep. So in our rules, and it is like you said, one of the most common questions I get asked was how close does my dog have to be to the find <coughs> for it to be correct. And this is where people, our program judges training that we do so just focusing on the judges training there's either a practical day and then obviously when covid hit we did um, online courses as well but the judges get qualified when they're ready so there's absolutely no like you come for a day and you're a judge you come for five days you're a judge so because obviously there's people with loads of experience in Different odours and odour placement, and then there's people that don't have any, but they might have loads of experience in sport. So they might get their head around the scoring system really, really quickly, but they have no experience putting anything out other than clove. So you can do your judges' training, and then you can for free shadow at as many trials as you want. So Mm -hmm. you can come and shadow when I'm judging or someone else is judging. Um, and then also what I have with some of my judges, I've got a few judges now that are running prelim and novice, and then they have a more experienced judge with them for intermediate, for example. So w- with DDT, there's always two judges. There's never any one judge as well. That's but good. there's one score sheet. You get yep. one score sheet, you don't get two. Um, and the score system is so... Basically, I wanted the score system to be consistent. So if someone's running a trial up north, and then someone runs a trial out, up, down south, those mm-hmm. those scores should be the same pretty mm-hmm. much, you know, as close as you can get. So the score system has a really easy criteria to read um, that basically makes you go, is the dog going to get a seven or an eight? It's very easy to look at and go, well, they performed to standard... Did they perform to standard and it was it above average? No, it wasn't above average. Okay, it's a six, You know, mm-hmm. not a seven, for example. Mm-hmm. So it's a really easy score system to do so that the scores are consistent throughout the trials. Um, odor placement is the main thing that, yeah. that they need to learn, but it's still consistent with the scoring throughout the trial because if you went to a trial and you um, thought, actually, my trial last month, the high placement was much harder... Technically in the scheme of things with the scoring, that doesn't matter because it was like that the whole day. Mm-hmm. So everybody got yeah. scored on that hide. Yeah. So it still stays more fair. Um yeah.
0: Yeah, it's no. And so going in from the scoring, now the titling. So explain okay. some of the titles because there's also some unique things with elements and things like that. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So um Give a little overview of like how they go through, you know, to get, you know, like I know it's the medals. So, you know, I'll let you go ahead.
1: Yeah, you do. And some of the medals I'm going to have to read <laughs> up on what I actually yeah. put down. It's been so long now because of COVID stuff. But yeah, so you have at the moment we have the three levels. So you have prelim. Prelim is um, one hide. You know, there's one hide. Uh, the dog can always get to source. So they can always get their nose right on the mm-hmm. right on the hide if they want to. And you get five minutes to do it. Prelim is a real, like, entry-level, come and have a look what DDT's like. Mm-hmm. Um, the entry fee's less. It's just that you don't qualify for champs in prelim. If you win a prelim, you have to go up to novice straight away. Um, so novice is two hides, um, still five minutes. The first hide, you know there's going to be two hides. There's always two hides. First hide or one of the hides, the dog can always get to source. Um, the second hide, the dog may or may not be able to get to source. It, the hide isn't going to be as difficult as an intermediate hide, but it's just getting the dogs used to that level of you. You need to indicate without being able to get to source.
0: Sure.
1: Um, that changed. I changed that. So it used to just be prelim. Uh, it used to just be novice and intermediate, and novice was like what prelim is gotcha. now. Now, yeah. And then intermediate, you can have up to three hides. You don't know how many there are, so there could be. One. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do none, but we'll yeah. leave that to advance. I think, and uh, it, there was obviously the other aspect of people like yep. they need to be doing more than one search because otherwise people are gonna be like, "I've paid my entry fee and my dog had no find." Yeah, they'd so I out. didn't. I was like, "I, really, yeah. I want to do that, but not yet." um So intermediate is up to three hides, so there'll be one, two, or three. Mm-hmm. So if there's one hide or two hides, you would get points for calling your area clear. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if there's three, then it ends on the find. Mm-hmm. Um, in prelim and novice the search ends on the find mm-hmm. so you know obviously yep. once you find it ends um uh intermediate the dogs they there might be some hides where they could get to source but unlikely
0: <coughs>
1: yeah uh unlikely it's mostly where they can't or if they could get to source they'd be it would be more difficult yeah um, for them so there was a big jump which is why we put intermediate uh, novice in as it was yeah. then yeah you get um a diamond award is if you get 90 points okay. uh, so you'll get given there's like a little nice little fancy yeah set, diamonds all over it not real ones uh-huh. um, <laughs> <laughs> and then we also brought in um the gemstone awards so the gemstones are really cool basically you'd go to a trial and you can enter your normal novice or intermediate and qualify for championships mm-hmm but that that trial may also have a gemstone so if that trial's got a gemstone trial it would have um for example the emerald gemstone trial is a rural um search Mm -hmm. so like it might be in the woods or something like that um we had ruby which is buried so Mm -hmm. it's just basically the hide will be buried it doesn't matter what level you're at when you enter the gemstone trial because dogs have got different strengths Yep. So everybody would compete at the same level. You know, you go in and just do that gemstone search. Yeah. Um. And you just, it's just an extra thing for people to want to do. They can try and go and obviously have completed all the gemstones. So there's um the pearl one is water. Okay. And then you have like an onyx one, which is a night search. So, okay. That's and it's even just more nice. Yeah. Like the rosettes are really cool. You get a rosette and you get a lead. So, you know, the rosette equals ribbons. Oh yeah. 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 You get a really good ribbon. ribbon. Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) Um, and it just, yeah, it matches the color and it's, um, you get your little lead with the, so the the dog, um, we have a dog in the UK Uh that she got, she won champs, um, last year, like 2020, I think she's won a lot of the. Trial. she's done really well. Her mm. name is Nelly. Okay. Helen and Nelly. Yep. they are brilliant. And she got the sapphire, um, gemstone, so okay. she got her little like blue diamante sapphire lead and collar. And oh, wow, yeah, she she loved it. But we have at Champs Awards as well. Um, so we have one award which Helen and Nelly have just reminded me of because they got it. Um, and it was it was the it's the um, it's called the Espirit de Corp. So it's basically, um the real sort of like values of DDT. Mm-hmm. So they would come, they got that award because they would come to DDT. It didn't matter whether they did badly. I mm-hmm. find a non, sure. non, non-swear word yeah. <laughs> that, um, <laughs> or they did really, really well. They yeah. had a good time every time. And like yeah. we've done trials where like Halloween when it's been fancy dress and things and they made an effort every single time and mm-hmm. they just had fun no matter what happened in the trial and that's why they got that award. Um, we also have the Expedition Award. So these are yearly. They go okay. out at championships every yep. year. So Expedition Award is the dog that um, has most improved throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't matter how many points they've got or how many trials they've won or anything like that. It's just how we've seen an improvement. So mm-hmm. that would be now, um, now that DDT's grown, judges are asked at the end of each year to submit mm. um, like entries for that. Yeah. Um, then we have the summit award that's the dog with like the most points throughout the year okay on average though so if you'd gone and done like 20 trials and only got 50 points and then you'd gone and done five trials and got 70 mm-hmm. the dog that had done five trials at 70 points consistently would obviously yeah win that you can't just go and do every trial and do <laughs> <then>. <laughs> yeah and then the last one's the um high peak and that's the highest score in any one trial throughout the year okay so that person might have done one trial. Yeah, but yeah,
0: that's, and that's, that's like you old. said. You know, when you say champs, that's the one event where it's the champ. Everybody's getting yeah, together. That's and doing <clears> so yeah, that's the championship. So
1: from so twenty twenty two. So we're about to run our twenty twenty one. Obviously, COVID pushed everything. Yeah. Out. What happens normally is the champs will run in January. So in January of each year, there aren't any qualifying trials. So January twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. will be the 2022 championships gotcha because at christmas um the reason why we do it is because at christmas obviously we have like loads of christmas trials and yep. things and people want to do them so championships then is in january and then qualifying trials in 2023 for mm-hmm. 2023 Two. yeah, yeah yeah um we'll start in feb like okay. at the gotcha. beginning of feb so that's how it works we're actually about to do our 2021 yeah. championships in march Gotcha. Um, because of COVID probably, that's, yeah. de- that's happening in March this year and champs is brilliant like it, the the last one wasn't quite the same because again of COVID we had to do it like individually but the champs before that we had at the uh, premiership football stadium in the UK and anyone's allowed to come and spectate mm-hmm. so people had supporters like their yeah. trainers came and they're like sat in the stands like watching the dogs and like it was so good like yeah. after the search I was like woo, like, yeah was oh, brilliant and uh We do, um, we always have a guest judge for the championships because even though we have two judges for DDT every time, one of you is nearly always training some of the dogs in that trial, which is why we have two. Um, but for championships we wanted, because throughout the year you're going to get dogs that you like, you know maybe dogs that you don't like. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so for championships, we really wanted to have um, someone's perspective that had no idea um, about the, about teams the dogs. At all. Yeah. So we had um, Dr. Lorna Irish. She came and did uh, the champs. Yeah. And she came and did them the, the second year as well. She's nice. like, yeah, I definitely yeah. want to come and do yeah. that again. Like, yeah. And it's really nice to get someone's opinion that's not seen any of them work, you know. And our school system works really well. Like you can, she could look at that quite easily and, and figure it out. And, and, figure it out yeah. and we have like merchandise, they've all got hoodies with the dog's yeah. name on that said, uh-huh. you know, they went to champs and stuff. And it's lovely because like I do workshops now Brain training mm-hmm. and people turn up and they've got their like 2019 championship hoodie on and uh-huh. it's like, Ooh, they yeah. won D T last year. <laughs> it's like, Yeah, it's a champion in this class. Yep. <laughs> so um,
0: Well the other cool yeah. thing that you have too is the um the league or team play. Yes. So explain that a little bit.
1: Yeah. So we've just, uh, April is our first like team challenge. So we've done a few before, um, just testing them out. So Easter, I think I did a league, um, where it was like over the Easter bank holiday. So there was three trials and you could do that as a team, but now it's going to be, yeah, more. So in April, we've got a team trial and it's a team challenge, this one. So, I do a prep day for it first, which you don't have to go to. It's like a training day for it first. And then it's a two day trial and you have teams of ideally four. But if there's two or three of you, you know, if your dog's got the search stamina, it's fine. Mm-hmm. We wanted to make it flexible enough that people don't go, oh, my God, I've only got, you know, I've not got a team of four. We also have a Facebook group for it. So if you're individual, maybe there's two of you, you go on the Facebook group and then there'll be someone else that's like, oh, Mm -hmm. you know, I've got this. And we've had it with people with breeds. like this, like, oh, I have a French Bulldog. Like, let's team up and and do it. And um, so the first day is multiple searches. So you basically have four searches, which can consist of anything from... We might have a vehicle search um a building search a search say that has to be done online so maybe like a Mm lineup type search and you'll have those searches you can run two dogs from your team on each search and then you can take the highest score C from that um, and that goes to your final score and then the next day is much more like um like we have in search rescue we'll do like an operational exercise like training day like um, and it's like that, so there'll be a scenario, um, but like a murder mystery type thing. Yeah, know, they have to solve the crime as a team, find the evidence, mm-hmm. and work that out. So that's the second day. Okay. And so that's I've run that on some of my training camps before, and people loved it, and it oh, worked yeah. really well. So that's why we then wanted to put that into DDT. Yeah. Um, and then uh, yeah, and give them the chance to do like multi yeah. multi searches because they they only do. In normal DDT, it's one search. Yep. But sometimes we run trials where you can enter two. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when advanced comes in, we haven't brought advanced in yet. Because mm-hmm. DDT is only three, I think. Okay. Nearly th- I think it'll be three years old in June. Yeah. And we've had COVID. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when we bring advanced in, it'll be two searches. Yep. So the dogs will, yeah, they'll do more searches. But at the moment, yeah. it's just the one.
0: Now, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I know we were talking about it and things that we, we were going over. Um, I can't, you know, as they build points through, you know, the different trials they go to and attend, um, was there the, like, bronze, silver, gold along with the gems? And that Or that was kind of more or less, I think we, me and you were kind of talking about, and that's yeah. something I'm thinking of doing yeah. over here. So... You know, for those that are listening, you know, we're going to be making some adaptations to what we do here in the States or North America. Uh, we have a lot of interest from Australia and some other European countries. So, here's the first thing I'm going to tell everybody there is no perfect system or program. There's going to be things that we like about some of this stuff, and there's going to be things that might be people's not their favorite, or they might have suggestions. The whole point about this is to get out and have fun with our dogs. And we're going to, you know, it's going to be like a living kind of system. It will adapt and change based on kind of things that we get for feedback from the people and the competitors and stuff like that. Um, So as this goes forward, uh, you know, the things that I, of course, I loved about it was the ability to kind of have the same playing field. So if it was a police officer with a drug dog and they wanted to compete, they could. Um, The person with, let's say, that... Did like you said train their dog on tobacco? Uh, they do that, or the search and rescue handler that wanted to put themselves out there with their HR. Uh, same with the bed bug handler. It's it's finally a sport where or a competition where everybody can get together, network a little bit too and run their dogs and just have fun and compete and then those that are the highly competitive ones can go out and get the points and get the gems and get the you know like i said i'll probably bring in the bronze silver and gold a little more initiative kind of things to keep people even more motivated to go compete and go to events Uh, and then the flexibility of the areas we're not trying to do two to three areas in one weekend. you can go to this trial it's this location, this event and you run your dog. The ones that might have a two-day event like you said whether it' be the team aspect or the ones where you do an element on the next day it's there's just a bit of freedom that hasn't existed before. Um, we're gonna bring in some of the great aspects we've seen from some of the other programs. so everybody that's listening, you know, keep an eye out here real soon, both on the DDT.dog website, which is the North American aspect, and the DDT.com website, which is more the UK slash, I would say Europe and global. It'll be a central location too for everything. Um, this is where the information is going to be at. And in literally probably um a few weeks of hearing this podcast, uh, you'll be able to go to the websites. I know I will have many of these rules kind of set up to review on Dog, so that way those that just want to kind of read some stuff over, um, see what it is, and then we kick into high gear by March. We will start having uh, individuals to start hosting clubs, You know, get their club uh, memberships turned in. Uh, those that are signing up to be DDT uh, competitors, you guys will be able to sign up and, and get yourself registered that way and then not too long after that those clubs that are existing we can start hosting trials and getting that there those that want to be judges you will be submitting your resumes we will be reviewing those and then you'll be taking uh right now the online classes uh for those with experience so that way we can get you facilitated in a judge and then those that want to become a judge we'll have a process there for you too so Before we end this podcast, talk a little bit about, you know, tell us how we find you. You know, you're, you got your company, you got your website. Tell us, you know, about what you've done and how to find you on the worldwide web.
1: Yeah. So DDT, the main website, DDT.com at the moment will basically just say, hi, we're DDT.com because (laughs) I'm changing, I've changed everything. So um, it's all going to be again, same next few weeks after this podcast goes out. Um, it will be on there, everything's changed, you know, the logo's changed. Um, DDT Facebook, Detection Dog Trials on Facebook, that will stay as it is um, as a platform. So that's easy. The websites obviously will have much more of the, like, documents and stuff for everyone, as you say. DDT is completely transparent. So the other thing as well that we um, we didn't touch on was the way, which I really like about DDT and how it's slightly different. One of the things that I noticed was when I was teaching, everyone kept coming to me and saying, I need help with Mm. my indication, for example, uh, because my dog doesn't have any duration. So most of the trials that I know about in the UK, um, other than the fact that you had to be on a specific odour, the other thing was the fact that they're timed. And mm-hmm. you win on time. Mm-hmm. You don't do that in DDT. That never, ever happens. Yeah. So they're timed as a time limit, but mm-hmm. the time doesn't make the blindest bit of difference to whether you win or you don't. Mm-hmm. So the that was a huge thing for me because I wanted to have it where when you're going to trials, you're still doing what you want in training with your dog. Mm-hmm. So what I was getting was people were going to trials and as soon as the dog sniffed where odor was, they're calling it yeah. or maybe the dog scratched or, you know, something like that. And the dog's getting marked. And then they're coming to me for an indication clinic, like help me because yep. my dog's doing this. And I'm like, well, I
0: actually have a YouTube video coming out pretty soon on this exact yeah, topic. And
1: I was like, well, what do you expect? <laughs> you know, what do you expect? And, um, you're allowed to reward in the search area mm-hmm. in DDT as well. Cause mm-hmm. this was the other thing The dogs were getting moved on without being rewarded because they didn't want to waste time taking the dog out of the search area to reward them. And so then they're like, Oh, my dog doesn't want to stay with the odor. And I'm like, well, it has no value for the odor yeah. because you're not moving the dog away. So in, in DDT, when you call your find, you put your hand up or out, you can do mm-hmm. a really subtle movement. We um, will confirm it's correct then you wait, if your dog between you calling it and us saying it's correct, if your dog's come off the hide, Mm -hmm. you can wait or retask your dog and wait for the indication that you would wait for at home. So Mm -hmm. you get marked, in DDT, you get marked on the indication that you mark as a handler. So if your dog comes off and it's like, yay, I did it, and you're like, yeah, well done, you'll get less marks than the handler that actually waited for the Mm -hmm. mark they wanted at home. So there's 10 um score like the scoring scoring stages there's 10 yeah. of them so you can go to a trial and not find and you still get marked for like 80 percent of your search you can mm-hmm. still do quite well so there's they'll all be online and on the website yeah. and there'll be a criteria on all of them and we're them.
0: judging the handler and the dog which yeah. is Together also another thing separately. yes correct
1: do so you have um Some of them are like, you have odour recognition, which is the dog, how the dog recognised its odour, followed by commitment to odour. So when the dog recognised that odour, did it stay with it? Did it work out where the find was? Then you get the indication as a separate Mm -hmm. one. You get um, area coverage, which Mm -hmm. is the, obviously, as it says on the tin, the area the dog searched. The area the dog searched rather than the area the dog covered. Yes. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And... um, Then the other ones are like, uh, handler recognition, how you recognize and behave as a handler, handler tasking, you know, did you overtask your dog? Did you pull your dog away when Mm -hmm. it was on odour? Um, and then you have things like team impression, um, you know, how you work together as a team. Um, we also have judges discretion. So Mm -hmm. that's like, um, I've had, I've marked dogs, judges discretion I've given for things like Hannah decided to put the dog on the line halfway through the search. And mm-hmm. it was a really good decision for that dog. Or all, all the opposite. Sure. You know, they let it off. Yep. Um, we had one of my most memorable um, was a search where the dog had a pigeon fly. And so the it was three steps leading okay. up to a little container. That was where the hide was, just uh-huh. below the door at the top of the step. And this dog... The lab just went and she indicated on the find and the pigeon flew down as the dog was indicating, sat next to the dog, right next to the dog's nose, wow. as the handler called it and we said it was correct. And then she marked her and she like, she'd stayed there in that indication the whole wow. time and she marked the dog and the pigeon just flew away. What? And we were like, okay, that definitely needs like yeah. more marks. Yeah, um, for sure. But we've done it before for half the dogs on the search, um... For example, one in the morning, it was sunny. In the afternoon, it pissed with rain, like really hammered it down Mm -hmm. with rain. And those dogs got a judge's discretion mark for the weather because the other half of the search hadn't had to do that. No. So that's where, you know, that comes in as well. Yeah,
0: and I really like that it levels the playing field. Now, there's going to be people that will probably complain and say, well, that's not fair. My dog, you know, this didn't happen. Or how do I know they're not playing a favorite or whatever? that's like you said, there's two judges. So this really helps that out where a lot of competitions right now, it's the one judge in that area. So again, so this is a new concept for most of those that currently do sports right now. You have a checks and balance kind of system in play. Um, And again, leveling the playing field for the handlers. So that way things aren't necessarily impossible. The dogs that are number five versus dog number 35 have a, scale ability for us to review so that way it's as fair as possible but like i said is it always going to be fair no and we understand that we it's not again it's not a perfect system It's about getting out there, working your dogs, having fun, being around other like-minded people, enjoying yourself, and maybe even getting to put yourself out there, uh, a a professional versus a hobbyist, and see how we match up. We've got
1: retired dogs. That was the other thing I could see. You know, like, I had someone come to me, and she said, oh, I've rehomed a retired police dog. He's on drugs. Mm -hmm. I'm about to put him on clothes so I can compete. And I was like, what? It just made no sense to me. It's like, for years, this dog's worked on drugs. Now, because it wants to compete, it has to go on clove. And I was like, mm-hmm. this doesn't make any This – there's yeah. got to be something else. To, yeah. To no, it's,
0: it's it's fantastic. So, people that you, they go to canine brain training, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: canine brain training is me. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely canine brain training is me. Um, soon, because of the pups and everything like that, we'll yep. have, um, we work in dogs as well. Yep. But that's just so that that stays separate. That was coming to what we were talking about, about the breeding and mm-hmm. genetics. Like I want mm-hmm. to breed – level-headed protection yep. dogs that yep. have a brain um so that's that's why i've set that
0: up yep and we have now. two that are arriving here in a few days viva and vegas yeah <laughs> so those will be here those are from your breeding
1: yeah vegas is being prized from me by force uh-huh I want to, he's, yes he's too good i, I, I want told to her him. she could not renege on that yep. deal <laughs> I think he was what three weeks old when yeah. you picked him yeah. I think he was two days old when I picked him yeah yeah <laughs> he's a he's a special puppy so he's out of Tula my the mm-hmm. HR dog she I want to keep those lines and that yeah. that's where the kennel will, will start from yeah. her lines but we've now brought in as well two males so that mm-hmm. we can have because what we were saying about the nurture side of it yeah. um the way the dogs are brought up is a huge part and from this litter again i'm like i need the stud dog in house as well i can't even i don't want to outsource that either anymore i just want to know exactly where my dogs are coming from oh yeah the fact that from day one they've been brought up how i would bring them up we've um we were having the same conversation these two pups we've brought in are were bred in kennels they're bred great they look fantastic they're fed really well like you know there's nothing bad about it but the difference in them is crazy compared to yeah my pups yep. like the, yep. you know with environments like just anything like the hoover or picking them up like touching them you know they haven't had any of that yep. i hoover and my puppies are like hey on top hoover, of the hoover. equals vacuum for those oh, that yeah, aren't from england
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah so they're literally like mine are just sitting on the vacuum you know whilst yeah. you're moving around they don't care yep. whereas the ones that have been you know brought up in the kennel and brought home at 12 weeks. Yeah. Like, Oh my God, what the hell is that? Yeah, no,
0: it's so critical. And obviously you're here for the puppy cognition part where we cover a lot of that as well. The importance of certain aspects of the puppy stuff. And that's for a whole nother show, um, which uh, will be coming up. Um, So first again, thank you for taking the time to hop on here and talk about this. Remember everybody uh, I'm going to have in the show notes, the contact information for Georgie, myself, the DDT uh, websites, Uh, All of our international friends, Um, a shout out to all those in Australia who've reached out and asked about DDT. You guys are going to be included in all this. Those in the rest of uh, Europe and I believe even India has reached out. So we are here to help everybody. Uh, We look forward to spreading the DDT aspect. Um, And again, everybody, uh, keep those questions coming to us. Um, We're going to be here to help and do that. And, and, And Georgie, again, thank you for coming on. That's all right. Yeah. So... Like I always tell everybody, thank you for listening to Canines Talking Sense, the podcast where it's okay to be nosy.